0: From Rixie, this is Frameform, a show about movies, moving, and everything in between. I'm Hannah Weber. I'm Jen Ray,
1: And I'm Claire Schweitzer. So hey, Hannah. Hey, Jen. How are you guys doing? Hey, hey. Glad to be back. It's Wednesday. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Welcome to the middle of the week. You're halfway there. (laughs) Yes. Congratulations.
2: We made it. Again,
1: So for today's episode, let's actually start by taking a moment right here, right now. You can close your eyes um, as long as you're not driving a car or operating heavy machinery or (laughs) anything like that. And take stock of the sounds that you hear. Do you hear the tires rolling around the pavement with cars rushing by you? Do you hear your earbuds and the rustle of the cord that's connecting them and the phone that you're listening to. So sound is a key part of shaping our relationship to space. Even with your eyes closed, you can still orient yourself by the way that sounds are emanating from different parts of the space that you're in. It goes without saying that sound design is a huge consideration when it comes to dance. Certainly in dance performance where you're competing with many different ambient sounds, but especially with screen dance where you really have control over the atmosphere of your film and your audience's experiences with the film. So today, we are going to focus on sound. But before we get into that, Jen, Hannah, have you been watching anything lately?
0: Oh, what a world do we live in of everything. What are we not watching? I think I've said this before, but, you know, YouTube, that's a thing. Um... I've been actually watching podcasts lately. I haven't had time to watch movies. So that's like a thing that I've never really explored before. It's weird to like have a conversation about like watching a podcast, but it is actually a pretty fun experience to entertain with. When you're listening to a podcast, you're just like, you're thinking of these imaginary people and you're just maybe seeing just like lips mouths moving you don't really like see what the person looks like and watching a podcast lately um shout out to h3 productions i've been listening to this really ridiculous show called frontemies and uh they are hilarious but the dynamic even just watching them in person have a conversation is very like contrasting you know literally like opposite perspectives and polar opposites from each other literally their set is um (laughs) this really simple set of like one side black and dark and the other side down to the microphone bright and pink so you can see like why it's a frenemy like why it's called frenemies and why they're polar opposites And who knows if the show is going to keep going. I mean, this episode is being posted a lot later in our lineup, but uh, it's very entertaining. And I definitely recommend it as a watch.
1: Yeah, it's always kind of surreal. Like whenever you see like podcast hosts or like podcast voices, like in real time and like in a human form almost. Yeah.
0: Even with radio, too. Like, you don't know what those DJs or those commentators look like.
2: It's really interesting when you do see a picture of them or you see them, like, actually talking in a video. And when it doesn't match up with what you thought they were going to look like, I think that'd be a really interesting study. Like, asking people to listen to someone's voice and then guess what they look like based on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, this show, for instance, I mean, we're talking over Zoom, but, you know, honestly, no one really wants to watch us have a conversation. Our mics are, like, way up to our mouths. You can't really see much. We're having
2: a... (laughs) I can hardly see my computer screen because I, like, have my face right behind the mic.
0: (laughs) Exactly. It's like... I know. We're not trying to entertain. This is, like, we're professional at best. I've got the drinking bird neck. (laughs) Yeah, this is a very
2: relevant discussion to what we're actually talking about today. Like the way that frenemies is filmed then is different because it's, it's like self-aware that it's a podcast. It's not like watching a TV show about a radio show. It is also a radio slash internet radio show. And the way that you make those choices in production to yield a certain final product really shape what the the project actually is Like, for example, here, the three of us, I think we've said this on the show, like we are literally in our closets right now. We are <laughs> in our very professional recording booths in our closets. It's definitely not the the most professional looking video. Now Claire's got some light up accessories happening. So, I mean, production value just shot up like 500 percent. But, you know, if this was a video show, I bet we wouldn't be able to, you know, at least given our our scope of work here it's like we wouldn't be able to churn out the episodes we've been doing this year uh, if we were also one like having to worry or concern ourselves with visuals and like a whole set build out and like being in the same space or building out three different spaces not that that would never happen but for now this is the choice that made sense and i think that we'll definitely see different examples of that and how like the audio and the sound choices affect What you're actually able to do.
0: It's all about quality versus also like we are entertaining. We're also having like a more academic like discussion where there's those podcasts where it's like it's a like a talk show, like a talk show television show in a way. You know, they're there to like you want to see the celebrity, you want to see the person, the crazy whatever antics they're doing in the booth you know it's like it's a different kind of experience where like this is more focused on the conversation than like the personality you know and I've really liked
2: having all the interviews and all the guests on there's a lot of room for collaboration with this too so if you're listening shoot us an email
1: So uh, today we are discussing the use of sound in dance films. And I can really only speak from my perspective when I start to screen films and when I watch different films. If there is ever something that is neglected, even in a great film, it's usually the sound design. Either the sound is poorly mixed or it's not even captured at all or is sort of like, brushed over with either um, a music track that's expected to communicate the story or another trend I've been seeing in a lot of dance films is sort of like the blanket of ambiance sound that's sometimes placed over different pictures. So it's uh, so important and it affects the way that you receive the film in so, so many ways.
2: Sound in film is almost like theater lighting. When it's done really poorly, you definitely notice it. When it's done well, you probably don't notice it. And when it's done really well, I feel like not as many people will still notice it as they will really great visuals. I don't know what it is, maybe because sound feels like less tangible for some people, but maybe that that's just the way that I'm wired. I don't know. Sound is definitely this other world that is more difficult to get right, I
0: think, than uh, than the
2: visual elements.
0: Oh, 100%. I mean... I don't know why sound is kind of a throwaway at times for anything that is recorded to camera. If people are speaking, you got to make sure that you're using the right microphone. Hey, use three different kinds of microphones to just like catch what you're, you know, trying to say, because sometimes the sound doesn't sound good or you have a you know not the maybe a good boom operator i don't want to you know most sound people know what they're doing but then the people who are assigned the role to play sound operator they don't do so well i mean i've done sound before and it is really hard and especially if you're recording dialogue like you got to make sure that you you're capturing in them well without capturing the little kids in the background and the in the park or like that one freaking bird that's just in the tree (laughs) you know or capturing just the sound of a kitchen that's so echoey like oh my goodness I mean we just doing this podcast alone we have these microphones and these types of recorders so we could deliver a clean audio track for y'all you know, because that's really important in podcast recording.
2: In order to get the audio recording and the result that you need, it will affect the way that things are positioned. It could double or triple your production time. You, to get the right audio for a certain shot, maybe the mic's in the way or the boom's in the shot, or, you know, there's a shadow on the ground. It completely adds another layer of what you need to consider and it can become a real challenge I know someone that's made films that are essentially closer to a music video where it's very largely like the way the hierarchy of elements is, is that things were kind of based off the music. Shifting from that to making not just tap dance films, but youth tap dance films was a whole other challenge because all of a sudden there's this logic and I'm sorry, I'm not going to have dancers wearing tap shoes on a surface with sound that sounds like it's on wood, but looks like it's not on wood. And it's just gonna be awful. And I think this is part of why, you know, the poor tap dance community suffers in, in dance film, specifically because of this extra barrier of audio and the, you know, the cause and effect of, I'm wearing these shoes, this is a percussive dance. Some of the audio needs to make sense and also needs to be captured properly. It's a real struggle
1: definitely and the way that sound is captured can affect it so so drastically I heard a great quote from a sound designer who said it's not about how loud you make it it's about how you make it loud so for instance if you have something and um, like like the zooms that we're using right now and it's capturing something at a very low gain or like a very low read if you end up bumming out sound up in post, you're going to get a lot of grain. And likewise, if you go the other way, you're going to get a lot of very scratchy types of feedback in there. So it really is crucial to think about what kind of tools you're using and how that affects the type of sound that you're getting, too. So first of all, let's actually take a look at a film where sound is really the focal point and specifically sound in location.
2: So this film's called Warehouse Samba. It was released in 2015 by Gabriel Shalom based in Portland, Oregon. Something I really love about this film is that there's also a behind the scenes where he talks about not only his own artistic and technical approach, but really just shows what equipment was used and how it was captured which I think is extremely valuable. There is so much content out there, but what people really need is education. And I would say particularly when it comes to audio, they need education and they need inspiration that you don't need to have some huge budget to make something happen. I want to read the synopsis for this film because instead of like paraphrasing it, I think that this just is a good Brief description of it. So here goes Video sampling and synchronized audiovisual counterpoint create a fusion of contact improvisation and music concrete. A trio of dancers move through an empty industrial warehouse. Contact improvisation technique creates encounters between bodies and architecture. The sounds created by the dancers' interactions with the space serve as concrete music. The video editing explores a counterpoint of synchronous, synchronized, and asynchronous relationships between sound and image. The dancers dance to music made from the sounds of their own movements. So it's basically visually what you're looking at by way of the dancers coming in contact with their space and even the way the shots compose, that is what you hear. It's kind of like a visual beatbox and I think that's part of why this film was so popular I screened it at my first year at the festivals I know that so many festivals of all sizes like all screened this film it was just such a a great example I know both of you have seen this and I think you've also seen it in theaters so what did you think about this film and how do you think it relates to the topic of sound
0: well, I remember seeing this film actually on Vimeo, and I featured it on Screen Dance Collective. And I thought it was just really great. I mean, this is the kind of content of dance and sound making that I've always strived to make in my own personal work of like, how can we create a sound score or a a soundtrack, a music track using with the native sounds of the environment? And I love that we have this, I like what you just said, Jen, visual beatbox that we have going on here. And I've tried to strive with that in my own work and it's hard. And it's very hard if you are not a musician, I wouldn't consider myself a musician at all. So it is a skill to make that kind of visual musical experience for the screen and for the
2: ear. Definitely. And I think what helps, of course, in this situation is that he collaborated with POV, which is a site-specific dance company. And I think that dance film or screen dance is site-specific work. You know, so to be able to work with a company that's already got this curious approach to their environment and then collaborate from that perspective, that's where you yield those really creative results. Where also the concept's so clear that I feel like this is such a good mainstream example. It's not dumbed down or using like a pop song that people were looking for and accidentally find this video. It really is just such a clear example that can reach the masses in that way without being watered down.
1: I appreciate how it's one of those warehouse films where the warehouse is absolutely necessary. Yeah. Like, it's one of those films where you can't necessarily transpose this movement and transpose this intention on another place. Like, it very much looks like it was created, choreographed, and composed for that specific place. And another quality about the sound, too, is that it also... It's very intentional. It's very precise. But there's also a sense of unvarnished feeling about it. Like you do hear sort of the echoes through the space and the amount of control that Gabriel's able to have with those echoes and with sort of like the follow through is impressive as well.
0: With the environment and the sound, why they go hand in hand is because there is interaction with the environment of the warehouse. We don't see that that often in these warehouse films. And in this case, like the sound of the environment of just like that that long drone echo from just like what the sound reaction is plays as a character within the work. I feel like having a
2: proper sound person makes such a huge difference. Like you can't even venture into doing this if you're just bare bones just trying to shoot something really simple that's quite dependent on music so i think part of it does come with the from the outset saying sound is an important part of this and we need to make sure that we have the right conditions to make this happen and the right equipment and the right person
0: so we could say that like movement is pushing the sound or is sound pushing the movement or are they working parallel from one another
2: Well, in this one, uh, Gabriel said in like the behind the scenes, I'm just going to quote him quickly. He said, I think of architecture as blank score paper. I think of the structure of the space and different elements of the architectural space as creative constraints I can work with to develop musical and movement ideas. So I think in his case, it's very much that interaction and that intentional look at it. But I think of some of the other examples we're going to look at today, the sound almost is enhanced
1: or amplifies the visual, even if it wasn't there in the first place. You can tell that there's a, a sense of a feedback loop between the visual and, and the movement as well, and the, as well as the sound. And I also appreciate that there is, even though there's a very intentional um, method to the structure of the film, that there is a sense of spontaneity within it. Like, for instance, there's a train sound that you hear part of the way through, and I was like, is that a mistake? It might be, but it's also adding an interesting texture to the overall mix, too.
2: That's, like, the best part. (laughs) It's, like, a pivotal part. It's, like, the train section, and then the next part, like, picks up. So those sort of happy accents are great to to have.
0: What do you all think if this film was, you know, muted? We didn't have the sound score. We just had the film itself. Like, how do you think... That experience would be different. I think it would still work. Because this isn't very, like,
2: it's dancey, but it's not, like, it very much is experimental, site-specific movement. Like, we're hitting things, we're moving things. Like, it looks like a sound film. Whereas another, like, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about making men And I watched that on mute and was like, oh, this is such a bold artistic choice. (laughs) But because the movement was like so detailed, I thought it was on purpose. I think this one, you get so much visual information that if it was on mute, I'd almost be like, this is artistic genius because you're seeing
0: the sound. You don't need to hear the sound. You can imagine the sounds because you know the sounds, maybe not the warehouse noise, room tone of it all but you know what a clap or a slap or you know what things sound like because they are everyday pedestrian like sounds I don't want to say pedestrian like sound that kind of sounds weird but like quotidian yeah you you know what it is
1: yeah and I think that it would create a different sense of digesis as well yeah for those of you don't know there's um In film terms, there's a difference between diegetic and non-diegetic sound, where diegetic sound is very much sound that's emanating from within the frame. And non-diegetic sound is sound that uh, really comes from out of it. So like a voiceover or something that's not coming from the actual action of the frame itself.
2: A really easy way because like diegetic and non-diegetic sound is such a cool concept to discuss, but I remember getting so confused when I first learning about it. And the the simple example I use is if you're watching a scene and visually someone's in the car and you can hear their car radio, then it's diegetic sound. But if you can hear background music and they can't, then it's
0: non-diegetic sound. There's this great one from, uh, it's a Will Ferrell movie. And, uh, he's playing the guitar for um, Maggie Gyllenhaal and he's singing the song and then on his guitar and then right when they start kissing the song goes the actual song plays so that's like a cool idea of like diegetic turning non-diegetic because obviously they can't hear that so but yeah that's That's your little 101 lesson on diegetic and non-diegetic sound. And uh, we'll get more into that.
1: So speaking of playing with conceptions of diegetic and non-diegetic sound, let's actually move on to the next film uh, called In Sound Out. In Sound Out is a film that was created in 2012 and directed by Patrick Juranyi. It is a film that was made in Hungary and it's a one minute film. That features a dancer, presumably a ballet dancer, with headphones on, moving as her body seemingly creaks along with her. And creaks in a very, very exaggerated way. So you'll see, like, you'll hear sounds of... I mean, I can't even place, like, what these sounds would be, but if I had to (laughs) describe it... um, Honestly, i describe it as my lower back in the mornings, but, like... Yeah, it it sounds like the way my back always feels. Very, very crunchy and very crackly. And uh, we see these close-ups of her body that are um, scored with very, very sort of grotesque sounding um, moments. And this is a film I show uh, in order to illustrate how sound design can affect the way that we perceive movement in dance films. I had never seen this until you recommended it, but... The funny thing is
2: I have my go-to film where I'm like, oh, this shows the body, like visually you see the body cracking, but the audio is exaggerated and that's cracks by Alex Pachon. But this one, but like cracks, it's like they exaggerate the volume and they exaggerate visually with the close up. But this film, it is much more like surreal because you're hearing these other sounds that are definitely not what you're looking at. And I think that this, this particular video does it very well where it's not so over the top. Like, they're not showing... It's not like she's rolling up her back and you hear, like, an elephant or whatever. Like, it's not so surreal that it's just playful and absurd, which could be fun in its own way, but I think it really treads that line very well that you know it's, like, exaggerated, but realistic enough that it's like, yeah, it does kind of feel like that when my hips and knees and ankles pop.
0: Yeah, I feel like this film is, I mean, obviously a lot of screen dance, dance films are made by dancers. And for this one, I definitely felt that the most just because, you know, as movers, we know what our body feels like, and maybe sometimes sounds like but I felt that these sounds were very more like they were just you know, sensory, you know, some people don't know what their body reacts to a sound effect, you know, and especially when it comes to certain kinds of moves, like the moment where she lifts her leg up and it kind of has this like really sharp and like, like kind of sound. I mean, that's what we're kind of thinking sometimes when we're moving. And I mean, when you think of a dance class, like a lot of like modern dance teachers are making up these really imaginary and lively sounds, but that really helps dancers and movers to understand how their body should move in the moment because it's got that rhythm, that uh, sharp and complex and, you know, like how can we imitate that sound through the body? This is a great example of dance home or screen dance being an excellent
2: teaching tool because even just watching something like this or calling attention to the fact that, hey, you know how during class I'm making all these weird beatbox sounds and like inventing words to describe the dancing? Like, let's really look at this and let's really decide how you comprehend this movement because it's all adding to your intelligence as a mover and a creator. And I think that a cool exercise would be not just with this film, but with any sort of film is just like swapping the audio, but swapping specific effects for simple body movements. Like what kind of interesting juxtapositions could you create? So that would be a fun one to do. Maybe I'll do that in a workshop.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think overall, this film just kind of heightens the danger, not necessarily the danger, but almost the intensity of the body even in regular movement and i mean not to mention ballet which is uh you know systemized training of uh you know deforming the body um i mean especially oh my gosh especially with those dead point shoes too like i like with the sound effects i was really feeling those like okay okay
0: one thing with this film, I mean the first moment that we see are the headphones and a lot of these noises that are heard they're internal, then they're they're only heard through the headphones, you know. It's like not everyone can hear your body functions, your body noises. And I think that's interesting that you only get this experience through the headphones. Whereas, like, once she takes them off, they're, you know, you get the sound of what sound sounds like, which is just like that electronic zzz, zzz, drone kind of noise. And I think that's a really nice take of, you know, this is a sound based film. And at the same time, I feel like the two the two examples we discussed
2: today are very good entry-level clear examples of here's a way that you can represent sound and visual in a very logical organized manner and even how you can be playful with it but I think our next film has when I think warehouse samba I think it's very logical like that's a word I keep using for it it's very cause and effect like it makes sense but the third film we're talking about is much more free-flowing and artistic, and there's much more of a a, a dance with the audio elements, like what are we going to mix in here and there? So, um, Hannah, I believe this one's your pick, so why don't you introduce the third one for us?
0: I first saw this film, um, also it was prescribed on Screen Dance Collective. Uh, Stefan, my friend Stefan Glenn, shout out, uh, he was the one that posted this one. Momentum, made in 2013, directed by Boris Seewald, featuring Patrick Hanna and Shako Ito, who are the dancers with music by Ralph Hildenbutel.
2: Who, I have to say, he and Boris collaborate on a lot of really great films, and the music is always amazing. So we'll be sure to link just Boris in general in the show (laughs) notes.
0: Yeah, this film, I think I chose it because, you know, when we think of sound films, I mean, obviously we're going to focus more on like the sound effects and how they're used and how can we can create a score. But, you know, a lot of dance films also feature composed scores and experiment with narration and i'm really into that these days of just how can we put dialogue into films and do it tastefully well and with this film patrick Hanna, who is the main dancer he talks about his first exper- experience with dancing like he wasn't someone who danced and then he gives us the story when he first started and it was like at a high school dance and that's where you start hearing possibility happen, imagination, what dancing does to the body, to the mind. And that's where music and I would say really well done composed music and sound effects with the music are played into it. And I think it's a great example of what can happen when... You actually work with a composer, and you do it a good job at it.
1: Amen. I want to actually speak to the quality of that first narrative bit, where in the beginning we see Patrick give uh, like the little background of the story that he was at this high school dance, that he picked up the tortilla chip and started painting with it, and he's saying this in like the most echoey space possible, and it, it's one of those sound like sound mixes that that you kind of almost have to strain to hear in a way. But it really does focus you in the very beginning on what he's saying, whereas we hear the music tracks start to cut in, and that almost frees the viewer along with, along with Patrick himself as he goes on into this experience. I love the sound of the warehouse. I think it works really well just
0: because it doesn't matter where he is in location regarding to this story. You know, it's a very intimate moment between him and the camera. And it doesn't matter. And and this is where I'm like, who cares about what kind of microphone they're using in this space? You know, like you could be anywhere and you're just having a conversation with him. And I think that is what brings you to that The moment now versus the moment beyond now. I think something this film does really well is keep you
2: present. It does tend to, it modulates and it shifts throughout. It's not super clear. Whereas I enjoy editing and watching and things that are like very tightly done and are musical. Like, I guess that's the, my perfectionist tendencies. I really enjoy watching that. I find it satisfying But there's also some fun in that unpredictability. And I think that that is assisted by the fact that there's not this music throughout the entire time. Like already it's a bold choice to do a voiceover. Like it's difficult to get, you know, not just the recording right, but to write something that it doesn't sound too scripted or too pretentious or whatever. It's a challenge to actually write well for screen, but especially for a dance film and then I mean anytime you have someone that's a very skilled dancer there's a risk that maybe they're not skilled at something else like acting or talking on camera but I think this film does a good job I wonder if it's actually like based on a true story or if he's just saying it Um, I'm inclined to think that it's maybe like not a true story but I don't know maybe (laughs) that's just because I'm a cynic Um,
0: but (laughs)
2: or I'm not a cynic I just think like oh this is like written for this and they cast for this and that's fine.
0: I think he's too genuine.
2: Like, no, I think he does a good job, but I, I just, he seems like he could act genuine too. I don't
1: know. Tortilla chip at a high school dance, like (laughs) salsa and chips, baby. Oh, I, I was actually at a dance film festival once that closed with like, um, it was a video karaoke party where you like dance to the, um, dance to the film playing on screen. Oh, I love it. What festival was that? Oh, this was Cynodonts. Shout out Cynodonts. Uh, their program looks super cool. Like they're like the hipster festival,
2: like international, like the super cool festival. Yes. Shout out. And kudos.
1: Yeah. And like they handed out tortilla chips to everybody and everyone was doing the tortilla chip That dance. is so
2: <laughs> funny. Oh, my gosh. I love that. <laughs> See, this is the kind of thing you can't really emulate that online. Like that—that that is an example of like, yes, we do still need live events. We still do need festivals. That's such a, no, a niche screen dance nerd thing to do. Like we're gonna dance with tortilla chips to this. I love it. Oh my gosh.
0: I mean that. Yeah, that's definitely like a experience. I mean, it. I mean, but the whole thing with that film, though, is, like, going back to the music of it, I mean, the music plays such a huge part. It goes from, like, serious to playful. uh, Like, imagination, playful, serious, you know? Like, there's this really nice, like, incline of just, you know, building, and I think it plays around with it very well, you know? The editing gets more intricate. The story just blossoms he goes into a story about him and his mom dancing and and the space gets more explosive with like you see like leaves as if like time is going by and posters are being hung like it's just imagination at its best yes and as
2: always these films are just three examples like we could do a sound and dance episode every few episodes and never run out of examples. There's so many different, uh, so many variations in ways that we see sound being used. And I think that this was a really good entry point for us to look at just three different ways it's being used, three different films released at three different times. And I think none of them really rely on music too heavily, which is interesting because I feel like there might be a tendency for that when we are just generally picking from a pool of films. So I like that this episode has shifted our selections to stuff that we probably wouldn't have maybe wouldn't have picked if the episode wasn't specifically about sound.
1: And with Momentum in particular, this was I mean, on a personal note, this was very much a film that came out towards like my formative interest in screen dance. And I was able to see this in theaters quite a few times. And it also just made me crave for the theatrical experience. Because in the theater, the sound is enveloping you. The sound is really carrying you along. And it's so, so difficult to replicate that in a digital space. Even if you have incredible headphones, it's so, so difficult to replicate that feeling of being just surrounded
2: well, just last weekend, we had Capitol Dance Cinema Festival in D.C., and it was a theatrical screening, physically distanced, but, like, it still happened, and to still be able to be in the theater, and I always anticipate how these films are going to look on a big screen, but to really hear them on that surround sound, like, is it just makes a huge difference, and I know that there's value for people that are creating these films. I know, especially when I was doing tap dance films, Uh, going into the theater and listening to the mix is so different than what you can do yourself with your own headphones. So there's such incredible value for audiences, for people that are in the space or in the sector that are interested in this sort of thing, but also just for the people actually making the stuff to get that level of feedback is, I think, going to continue to be one of the if not the main, one of the main reasons that live events and festivals will still be very
0: important to us. With all that said, I think that, I mean, this is why sound is important is because of those theatrical releases when we're in the audience because you don't want to hear that bad feedback. And I think, I don't want to point any fingers or anything, but maybe that's why a lot of dancers resort to music or filmmakers that are making dance films resort to music because they aren't as comfortable enough with recording sound or creating a sound score and that's where it starts feeling disconnected like why is this sound like or this music uh being used i know that dance usually most of the time is using music as it's you know kind of partner with its movement but It's not always like that. It doesn't need to be like that. It is so saturated. And you do not need to use that song that has played in the radio or that one song from that movie soundtrack that everyone has heard. You know, like you got to play with it. You have to experiment to see what the possibilities are for your film. And the thing is, it's easier than you think to stand out. To be
2: honest, a lot of people end up doing similar things because we're exposed to similar things. We want to have a high success rate. Social media, as you will learn from The Social Dilemma, um, social media shapes your reality, not just social media, but the Internet, like shapes what you see and what is normalized for you. And I think that it's such an easy way to set your film apart if you decide, you know what, we're not going to go more of a music video route. We're going to really get some like on location sound. We're going to have at least a few points in between where there's something interesting happening with the sound score and that we pay a fraction of the amount of attention to how this thing sounds as we do to how it looks. Curators will notice that. Producers will notice that. People that are deciding what gets included where, even if it is online, will notice if you take that extra attention to
1: detail with your audio. And also putting it in the context of live performance where, I mean, maybe you're only focused on the sound of the music that's accompanying the dance, but there are so many layers of sound that are happening all around you that also create that sense of ambiance. And that's something that in a choreographic setting, you don't necessarily have control over, but in a film setting you have total, total control over. So understandably, Many dancers might not have a lot of experience with sound design and maybe they want to know more, or maybe some basic rules of thumb for capturing good sound and mixing good sound. Uh, do you guys have any tips for them? To make a film,
0: you need a team. And with that said, find people that know how to do that. And if they're your friend, definitely utilize them. Buy them lunch and... Have them be a part of your film to record. In some cases, I would recommend, I think, using your cell phone as a recording device if you don't have that utility of a friend that has a, a cool microphone or a Zoom or whatever. But uh, you could start with just using your voice memos app or even renting stuff from like your university or from a store Zoom microphones are going for, you know, a hundred bucks, which isn't that bad. And it's an investment in your work and in your
2: craft.
0: And you'll have it for a very long time. So why
2: not? And you can sell it if you need to. People are buying this stuff secondhand all the time.
0: And with that said, always uh, slate your boom microphone with your, your microphone And your image, because when you want to get to the editing suite, you don't want to be like finding which one goes with which. I feel like when I start a project and there's
2: anything disorganized on the front end, it just slows me down versus like sitting down and being able to just run with it.
1: That's super important. Work smarter, not harder. Also, room tone is your friend. Make sure that you capture at least two minutes of undisturbed room tone because there's nothing like hearing sound effects that dip into nothing. And when we say
0: room tone, we don't mean just like the room itself. We also mean outside. So if you are somewhere where there's like a lot of traffic going on, Yes. Stand in that place where you recorded and record that traffic. It might be loud, but you're going to be thankful for it later when you have to make cuts. And then you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, you could tell that the sound goes out at that one point. And I'm like, well, that's when you use your room tone, your wild noise to fill that empty space of atmospheric sound.
2: This information is so crucial. I don't think anyone would just come up with the idea of like, oh, I better get a sound recording outside the room and like outside the building in order for this to work. Oh gosh, those are really good tips. I think one that I definitely want to put on the table is the internet, as you may have heard, as you may be aware of, is this amazing tool. And I encourage you to go on SoundCloud, go on Bandcamp, go on YouTube find if you're going to go the route of making a a video that is really dependent on music find somebody find a composer find someone that has experience scoring film find a band that you like like people are more accessible than ever so it's not like you have these ga- the, to the same extent you don't have these gatekeepers before where you could never get in touch with somebody you know just take the time, eat a couple hours, get lost on the internet, find some people to shortlist and see if you can make it happen. That's how I got started is contacting a local musician that I really liked and we made a dance cinema edit and we made a music video edit. And it really, you know, musicians are so grateful too, If you, especially if you're starting out, like find a young musical artist and offer to choreograph or make a cool video for them. Like it's a great way to just dip your toes in these creative projects and have some mutual benefit for the people involved.
0: And if you don't want to use music, I would also say use a resource like freesound.org, which also has a great library of different sound
1: effects. And then you could just create your own little ditty with that. But make sure you can actually use that sound. Make sure you double check all licensing, all Creative Commons just because you got the sound for free or just because you got the music for free doesn't mean that it's free to use. Like there was one year at, apparently one year at San Francisco Dance Film Festival where everybody was using like Radiohead <laughs> from the album they released essentially for like to you pay your own and people were scoring it with that music, which nope. is like, no, nope, yeah, unless nope. it's Addie Halpin <laughs> who
2: actually did the real music video, don't touch it. Right. <laughs> I think my last rec for sound tips would be planning film and dance and especially dance film it is uh, such a a beautiful mix of planning and improvisation thinking ahead and thinking in the moment and I think if you want to have cool sound elements planning for it but also being aware in the moment of those opportunities will really take your stuff to the next level and especially like thinking about what things might sound like that are not just in your environment, but on your costume or like, do you have a loud hair piece? Do you have a loud accessory? Do you have something in your hair that might cause some noise or, you know, when you, when you execute the movement for a certain shot, do you want, that you want, is there anything being compromised in the audio? So definitely being able to plan and, almost do the audio version of a storyboard and like have an idea of what you need to hear and how you need to achieve that in production is going to save you some headaches versus being really frustrated when you're sitting down to edit or you get back the first edit of your film and you're like, ah, this is not the movie I had in
1: my head. And now I'm regretting everything. 2020 is almost over, everyone, but there are still some events to check out before we see this year through. Southeast Dance in London presents 2020 Vision in Conversation, this Thursday, December 17th, 3 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, 10 a.m. Eastern. This event is the third in a series of online talks with screen dance practitioners, digital creatives, and choreographers who work in the digital realm and will center around a discussion around the role of technology within dance with a particular focus on AR and VR. This event is free to attend, but booking is essential. The Raw Conversations, an interactive series of co-curated conversations by two community initiatives based in India, continues this Saturday, December 19th. These uh, conversations aim to activate dialogues and enable experimentation in practices across disciplines of dance and camera in India. This event is open for all to share, listen, and ask questions. Details for all events can be found in the show notes.
0: Thank you so much, and it's been a great day of talking about all the things that we've been talking about. You can follow us on Frameform Pod on Instagram. That's Frameform P-O-D. We update weekly just to let you know that, hey, there's a new episode out. Uh, follow us and share and all that cool stuff. And also email us at frameformpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And also, why don't you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts? We would love to, you know, get up in the charts and, uh, (laughs) you know, hear your
2: your feedback. And see if you can compete with Brazil for top listenership because they're winning right now. (laughs) See,
0: (laughs) see. It's been a great Wednesday. And Jen and Claire, thank you so much for, you know, doing what we do every
1: week absolutely absolutely it's always always a pleasure sounding off with you guys
2: ah i was trying to think of a pun <laughs> claire you did it <laughs> i was gonna i was like all i had in my pocket was sounds good but i was like that's not good. that's gonna be forced in this exchange oh yes yeah, sounding off
0: <laughs> see ya pretty got up pretty seal Frameform is a production of Rixie, hosted by me, Hannah Weber, Claire Schweitzer, and Jen Wright. Edited and mixed by myself and Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.